Welcome back to another episode of the Startup Therapy Podcast. This is Ryan Rutan, joined as always by my friend, the founder and CEO of Startups.com, Will Schroeder. Will, hearing a lot of chatter and rattle right now, we are in uh, Q1 of 2024, and we're seeing some consolidation in terms of the checks that are being written, particularly in the VC space. And they're not being distributed as widely as some people would like. And there's some complaints that people are saying like, hey, they're giving money to people who have already failed. Why would they do that? Why don't they let some new people try and fail too? They're not saying try and fail, but like, let's talk about why that's happening right now and why that's not really the, the wrong approach. We're seeing more of it now. Right. We're seeing more of it, you know, in, in current terms. But to be real, like this trend has gone on for a very long time where people are always complaining. They're like, oh, my God, that founder failed miserably. Look, they just raised more money. And nobody seems to understand why that is. And, and I think it's a gross misconception of how we look at founders, how investors look at founders and how we look at failure. Right. So I think what we talk about today is we talk about why those folks that are getting that second life, that second check, et cetera are probably the best investments possible. And again, I know people look at that and they say, oh, well, how could that be? They failed. And it's like, I don't, how could you not understand how this, bi- <laughs> this business works, right? Especially among founders. Yeah, I know. That's the thing. Like when I hear this from lay people, right? People who aren't in the, in the startup space, aren't founders themselves. I have a lot more patience for it. When I hear this coming from other founders, like, like I don't want to come down hard on anybody, but like, I get a little salty about this, right? I know you do too. It's, <laughs> it's hard not to. It's like, Pick the Super Bowl that Tom Brady lost and then be like, why would we ever bet on that guy again? I think that the problem is what we see is the failure, right? Well, what we see goes well beyond that. I think what a lot of people see is just that moment of failure. And they forget that, like, you're basically saying, like, look, I bet on the Preakness and my horse came in second, right? Never do that again. Your your horse was the second best horse in the world, right? That's not bad. (laughs) This It's not, it ran backwards, right? It didn't fall over dead, right? It wasn't the slowest horse in the world. And somehow all of a sudden, when things don't work out exactly as we hope, when it's not IPOs and acquisitions, it's abject failure. Like there's a pretty big spectrum between those two points. And I'd argue that founders who make it to that level are a lot closer to the success end of the spectrum than the failure end of the spectrum. Let's build on that because we've just seen a massive amount of carnage right? From companies that, especially the folks that actually made it to the IPO, which is like the Super Bowl, which is the hardest thing to ever get to and have failed miserably. A wish comes to mind. Here's a company that scaled like crazy, hit the IPO, had a great IPO, had a great half second after the IPO, and now it's worth pennies on the dollar. Wish I hadn't invested in them. <laughs> <laughs> well, I did. So wish I had the money back. And so I look at it and I, and I think to myself, okay, Take that founder, who I don't know, right? I know of him, but I definitely don't know. Think of how few people could even get to that level, right? Much less mess it up. But we take this cynical view where we say, oh, well, he failed. You know, he got it to the IPO and it's it's done horrible. Okay, uh-huh. right? Again. <laughs> Revisit the first half of that sentence a couple dozen times and then come <laughs> back to me. He got right. it to IPO. Right, right, right. There we go. And, and so there's this notion that somebody builds something, they spend a lot of money, and this is this is where people get salty. Ah, they spent hundreds of millions of dollars and it's gone. Yeah, they did, okay? And it happens. And, it, and I'm not defending those actions. Maybe they were totally boneheaded moves, right? But I gotta tell you, I know enough of these folks who have done this, and their intentions were always pure, right? They were trying to build something. They were trying to build something great, and it didn't work, right? 
again, like we'll probably beat the hell out of the Super Bowl analogy, but like they tried to win the Super Bowl and it didn't work, right? <laughs> but to think that like when somebody makes it to that level, right? You know, again, let's go back to the Super Bowl analogy is able to make it to the NFL to begin with, which is like 0.00001% of society, and then gets to the highest level and then loses? You're like, oh, you lost. Like, nah, no, not real. Yeah, not, <laughs> not quite. I think the other part that makes it really hard to stomach sometimes is when you hear the comments like, you know, if I'd had that kind of capitalization in my startup, uh-huh, sure. Number one, you didn't, and there was a reason for that, right? You didn't pitch as well. Your idea wasn't as compelling, whatever it was, right? You didn't get that money. Right. So you don't get to pretend that it would have gone better if you'd spent it. <laughs> it just drives me nuts, man. Like just in general, like as a community of founders, anytime I see somebody else taking shots at other founders, it hurts. Right. Like we know how hard this shit is. Stick together. Right. Don't, don't kick them when they're down. Absolutely. And so I think what we want to do, and I say it like in the founder community or in the community at large, is to give a failed founder this scarlet letter. Right. And so the idea is that, oh, you failed. So now you are failed founder. Now, imagine if we zoomed out a bit and we said, cool, if we're handing out scarlet letters, here's a few that I'd like to hand out. Anyone that's ever been in a failed personal relationship, marriage, dating, what have you, you now have a scarlet letter. No one should ever date you again because you tried it and you failed. Right. Well, no. Okay. Well, that, that, that doesn't really make sense. If you're at a job that you didn't do well in, cool. You are a failed employee. No one should ever hire you again, right? I mean, like when you start to realize how I'm using these ridiculous examples for the very point that you can't take one moment in time and say that that human is only representative of that one failure, right? That's insane. Right. It'd be chalking an entire career up to a single game or maybe a season, right? Or maybe time with a team, whatever it is, right? And look, I get some of the reasoning behind this too. And what it almost always comes down to, if I, you know, if you peel back the onion, you start really talking to a founder who's doing this, who's denigrating some other founder. What I typically find is that they're doing this to make themselves feel better, right? They're like, look, uh, they had all this and, and they failed. It makes them feel better about wherever they are right now. But like, let's not do that. We don't need to create, you know, these non-objective comparisons with people who really went out and tried to do something to prop ourselves up a bit. Easier ways of doing it. Try breath work, yoga, meditation, something. No, that, that is typically where it comes from. I mean, the nature of all of it is just kind of reinforcing our own insecurities and we're projecting outward. But we've also, again, the whole false premise, which is, oh, that person failed. So they are now a failure, right? And like, yes, at that, <laughs> like pretty objectively, right? Correct. They failed at that thing. Let me point the cannon at myself, okay? So over a 30-year career, I've started nine companies. Four of those have failed. Now, let me quantify a bit. Across those nine companies, in really those 30 years, I've generated billions of dollars of revenue, right? Not hundreds of thousands, billions of dollars of revenue across these, these companies, right? Now, if you were to say, yeah, but he failed at this one. So he is failure guy and he is not to be given any more capital or any more opportunities. You would have given up billions of dollars of revenue. <laughs> what the, how, how short-sighted can you be? Well, remember when, was it, was it Michael Jordan go play golf for a while? Didn't that yeah. happen? 
<laughs> right? Right, what right. if we chalked up like his ability as an athlete to the failure at golf or like Bo Jackson went and play. actually Bo Jackson did pretty well at baseball and football. I'll, I'll shut up now. This yes. is where my, my, my <laughs> knowledge and history of sports doesn't work out that well, but like, we can't just look at that one experience, your point, like a singular experience, a singular moment in time that's encapsulated in, in one failure does not make the person a failure, right? Does not make the founder a failed founder. So like the idea that investors should just write them off or that anyone should write them off on that premise, ludicrous, right? And just the long list of companies that have been created by, quote, failed founders is hilarious, <laughs> right? And it's almost like a rite of passage that you don't build something great until you fail at something first, right? And, and again, like Mark Zuckerberg had something, I think it was, if it was so long ago, it's called Wirehog. It was like a MP3 P2P sharing business or something like that before Facebook. Is he a failure? I just want to be clear <laughs> because that didn't work. No, right? Steve Jobs, again, we're going top of the food chain here, right? Love this example. Jobs yeah. started Next Computing, right? How many of you in our audience own a Next Computer? Zero, right? Because it failed miserably. Is Steve Jobs a failure? Should we not give him any more money, right? You know, back in the day, right? Like, it's insane that we even think in these terms. Now, let me flip it just a little bit. I'm more concerned, not with the vitriol from the peanut gallery, right? I'm more concerned with how that in, that the founder feels about themselves. Whereby the founder is like, oh, I'm failed founder. Fuck that. <laughs> no, you're not. Ah, yes, it failed. You are not a failed founder. You're a founder who failed. That's different. You're a founder who failed at something specific, right? And it's one game or one season out of your out of your career. And and it's the learning, right? Like think of it as the minor leagues, right? And then triple A ball and then pro, right? I don't know why I'm going back to sports. I really don't. I'm not even sure I got those leagues in the right order. Yeah. <laughs> Look, the point being, a lot of this stuff is preparatory, right? I mean, you know, the failure does stack up into something. Unless you were just making the same boneheaded mistake over and over again and somehow got people to give you money to do that, you know, shame on them for not checking better and and, and shame on you for making the same mistake. But like, if you're making mistakes, you're learning, you're accumulating so, so many things that become highly valuable, not just to investors. You know, the other thing too, is I think for founders specifically, our performance is so quantified by the fact that we have a whole company and a PL and all these things and all these people, et cetera, all these moving parts, product market fit, et cetera, that when we fail, it is so obvious. It is so obvious, right? Let me put that in comparison to kind of any other job, right? If you're a doctor, not, not a surgeon, I want to <laughs> I was gonna say, there's some objective there too, yeah, yeah. If you're a doctor and you're just not that good at your job, kind of nobody can tell, right? Like if you're a GP and you're giving B minus C plus advice, right? Like you can kind of get by and I'm pointing to a doctor, right? I'm trying to make a stronger argument. If you're an engineer at some random company and you're not shipping code fast enough or your code tends to break, like there's no spotlight on that, right? Yeah, maybe a couple of people in your department are kind of worked up, but that's it. Also, amazingly, think about what those two cases went through to get to where they were, right? An extremely rigorous set of training and yet failures still happen and yet we don't really see them as much, right? To your point, it's so glaringly obvious in the founder space and remind yourself, this is our training ground. 
right? There isn't a school where you go. There are schools that have entrepreneurship programs. Sure. We can talk about the value of those at a different time. The learnings that you take away, particularly around things like fundraising, right? Things like scaling, right? There's nowhere you go to learn how that's going to work specifically for your, your company. And so the idea, again, that we're attaching failure to those things, yeah, it was an attempt, right? And it should always be seen that way. Sometimes attempts succeed, sometimes they fail, but we have to take them. Right. And again, with very little training, very little preparation. And so, you know, take it easy on yourselves, founders. If you did fail, it's okay. Again, one notch on the, the resume, right? Not not forever written in stone, not the scarlet letter that people want to hand you. Right. And, and again, you know, what I'm really trying to get at is like everybody fails in their jobs at some point. 100%. The difference is we have this massive spotlight on our failures, right? In other words, if Jeff in engineering was six months behind on his project, right? It doesn't show up in TechCrunch, <laughs> like it, as an expose on how shitty Jeff is at coding, right? <laughs> right? Right. Even though he's just as much of a failure at his function as a CEO. Now, again, I'm trying to point out just when folks are trying to assess or look at founders that they give them this kind of unreasonable lens. I, I also say the same goes for like celebrities, right? Where their lives are put under a microscope and they're just like doing dumb shit like everyone else does, right? The difference is, their lives show up, you know, every detail. So that said, I just want to kind of take that back to the founder for a second and say, hey, founders, if you have failed, yes, you failed. So did everyone else. The difference is you've just got a huge spotlight on yours, right? And you have more responsibility. Yes, we signed up for that. But also understand that like we are also human. Correct. Yeah, no, I think, yeah, the cascading nature of founder failures is a big part of it, right? It's like when other people fail in their job function, sure, it has knock on effect. Yes, there's ripple there. But, you know, when a founder fails, and look, let's also call it what it is. It's typically not just a founder failure, right? It's a fa failure of the team. Ultimately, the founder is the one who's responsible for it. The founder is sitting at the top of the stack and they're the most visible one in the, in the picture. But, right, everybody contributed to that failure as well to varying degrees. It just <laughs> happens to be that the founder is going to carry all the weight of that failure. And when the founder does fail, right, like we do make bad decisions. We do, you know, and not necessarily bad decisions. We make the wrong choice. Sometimes you're just at that fork in the road and it's like, do we go B2B? Do we go B2C? Let's go B2C. Whoops, that didn't work. We failed. Okay, cool. Right. But that then ripples down to everybody else. And this is why this matters so much more than Jeff and engineering, because people lose their jobs. Investors lose their money. Let's take that back. Let's take that back to the actual investors, you know, kind of the, the core of this. When investors are looking at a founder who failed, what exactly are they expecting to get on that second bite of the apple, so to speak, on that second attempt from these founders? And I think it comes down to experience. 100 percent. I don't think we understand how much value there is, even in a failure, to the amount of experience that was gained, that sadly, you could only gain by having gone through the experience. Correct. Yeah. <laughs> like, well, and man, there, there are some, like, if you, know, if you think about the lessons you've taken from your victories and your wins versus the lessons you've taken from your failures, at least in my case, and I would argue probably most founders, we spend a hell of a lot more time thinking about where we screwed up than when things went right, right? We have to, right? We go back and we beat those things up and we're, we're analytical about it. We tear them apart. And a lot comes from that, right? Like, again, like I, you don't, we tend not to see founders making the same mistakes over and over and over again, right? The environment doesn't really allow for it either. And so the experience that comes from that is one that just absolutely galvanizes people and makes them into better operators, better thinkers. You know, you, you develop frameworks, you develop team, you develop structures, all these things start to come out. I mean, there are hundreds of benefits to running the startup company. 
that have nothing to do with whether it succeeds or not in terms of the founder's knowledge. And investors understand this very clearly, right? Like, yes, we saw, you know, somebody go into the champion, the, the title bout and get knocked out. That doesn't mean that they don't get a rematch. And it doesn't mean that, you know, right now we've got some video of that. Let's learn from those mistakes. Let's learn how to slip that jab. Let's learn how to do all these things that will allow us to persevere and, and to maybe win the next title shot. These things matter so much and particularly to investors, right? Because otherwise what you're saying, and I think I said this at the top of the episode, otherwise what you're saying is I'd rather bet on the complete unknown. Is this what we're saying they should do, right? Pick some random out of a crowd of founders and say, you, at that point, what are they doing, right? Now you're saying like, let's just make this completely non-objective, right? Again, failure isn't forever and experience counts a ton. Combine those two things and it starts to make a lot more sense why we see follow-on investment with founders who have quote unquote failed. You know, something that's really funny about everything we talk about here is that none of it is new. Everything you're dealing with right now has been done a thousand times before you, which means the answer already exists. You may just not know it, but that's okay. That's kind of what we're here to do. We talk about this stuff on the show, but we actually solve these problems all day long at groups.startups.com. So if any of this sounds familiar, stop guessing about what to do. Let us just give you the answers to the test and be done with it. Let's talk about how few of them there are. Now, okay, let me- Also that, right? I'm gonna use one of our favorite examples, our friend Adam Newman at WeWork, right? So WeWork has essentially the most spectacular failure of all time, right? And Adam Newman comes back and raises $300 million for his first round. Yes. <laughs> that's, that's quite the pre-seed. <laughs> quite the pre-seed, right? Now, everyone's reaction, of course, is exactly what you'd expect. How can a guy who just gave up $10 billion, you know, raise this kind of money? You know why? Because there's like 10 of him, right? And, and let me be specific about what that means. In order to get Adam Newman's experience. You had to A, raise $10 billion, which kind of nobody did, right? So right there, there's kind of no other him, right? Like Sam Altman now in a few others, but like the number of people that even can comprehend what that means, right? Are like ones of people, okay? Number two, you had to understand what it meant to actually operate at that level. Globally, overnight, massive brand, massive media speculation, et cetera, and be able to manage that. Dozens of people have dealt with that, right? Not thousands, right? Not at that level, right? At the leadership level, right? At the, at the very top uh, level. Next, you had to be able to build a brand that did hundreds of millions of dollars in revenue, right? Ones, tens, maybe hundreds, maybe of people that have ever done that, right? Again, Going back to the folks that don't really understand what just happened here, you know, as far as the, the experience that was gained, if I'm an investor and I'm like, okay, Adam Newman failed, clearly, but guess what? I know he understands what just happened, right? Because my next option is to, to invest in Adam Newman who hasn't failed yet, right? Without any of that experience, right? That sucks. <laughs> it's a, they're not even remotely close. Yeah. I mean, when you get to that scale of investment in these types of opportunities, you need someone who's been there and done it, right? Even, even if they've failed, you want somebody who's at least made it close to summiting because they know they know how to get there at least, right? Now, doesn't guarantee that they're going to summit the next time, right? They may fail at the same point. They may fail somewhere else, but at least we can go, they've been that far, 
right? We can trust them to do that or to know what it took to get to that point. And I think that just like, there's so many other things that happen when you've achieved that level of success, because before the failure, there was a hell of a lot of success, right? This is often the case, right? There was success at fundraising. There was success at team building, there was success at network building partnerships. There was success at uh, generating revenue, right? They weren't making zero dollars. Right. You know, like for everyone that I hear is like, oh, yeah, they failed because he was meditating on a surfboard. Was he? Was he really? Is that what was going on? And so I think that it's so hard to quantify some of those things in terms of like the value of a founder post failure. But in the case of like we're talking now, like to your point, there are ones of these people. Think about what has occurred in that person. Think about what the value of that person is. Like, if you want to try to objectify it a bit, how many people can he pick up the phone and call? that none of the other founders in that same set could, right? If you're thinking about like, who else could we invest in that's going to do something similar? Who else has that ability, right? Who else has the power to do that? Has the, the employees who are willing to follow them again, has all of these other assets that just come along for the ride. And again, it's ones, tens, maybe hundreds of people in total, but in a given category, we're single digits. Stick with that. So last night I'm at dinner, I'm at a founder dinner, Right with a handful of other founders and, and uh, all of them listen to the podcast. So yes, guys, I'm talking about you right now. And among us, we've either raised or generated in revenue, probably 10 to $15 billion, probably actually a lot more than that. So all guys who've kind of been to the big show, if you will. Sure. And there's like six or seven of us, right? Right, like, like not 60 or 70, six or seven right now this is because you, uh, we're in columbus ohio not exactly a, a tech mecca you all fit in a booth at bob evans there isn't an eighth person to invite because there <laughs> literally are no it's not even remotely close okay now when we get together it's an awesome group when we get together we talk very openly and honestly about really the things we struggle with right and what i consistently see with that group it's hard to recognize during that time that you are in such an elite group of folks that even have these problems. And, and again, this isn't me questioning anybody's self-awareness. I'm saying like, you're just used to doing this stuff every day. And again, this is me going back to supporting the founder. You forget that no one else has these conversations, right? No one else has these conversations, which means if I'm an investor and I'm like, cool, let me invest with some, somebody with that kind of experience. <laughs> There's nobody, right? So yes, I go back to the people that may have failed, where they're the only people that have been to the big show, that understand why you would make one decision for another. And guess what? Making bad decisions is how you make good decisions, because right? you know not to do that again, which is called life. It's amazing. Yeah, no, I, I think it's important. And there's another, there's another aspect to that, right? Which is that if you've been down that path with them before, you've been down that path with them before you know this individual at a very different level. And I, you talked about this before, Will, but I think that for everyone who's sitting out there who hasn't gone down this path yet, it can be quite confusing because you don't know any investors and no investors know you. And so you don't know what that relationship looks like. So you just assume that's always the way it is. And there's somehow like we have this magical meeting, they're wowed by our pitch deck, and then they decide to give us money. And yes, that's part of the process. But then on the other end of that, there's an entire relationship that's been formed there, right? And just because you didn't win the battle, 
doesn't mean that some camaraderie wasn't developed and some trust wasn't built. They believed in you once. They may believe in you. They may not, right? Like they may also know that like, I don't want to invest in that person again, but that's not what we're talking about today. We're talking about these repeat investments into the same founders. And that's a big part. I think, I think the way you put it was, was perfect. It's the devil, you know, sure. I'd call him a devil, but yeah, we'll go with it. I think in this case, folks don't understand the investor's purview, right? So let, let me be more specific. As an investor looking at deals, the biggest challenge I have isn't picking good ideas. That, like that's what everybody focuses on. It's picking good people that run those ideas. Now think of how crappy my decision opportunities are. They look something like this. Someone sends me a deck Hopefully, I maybe got a referral from someone who validated them a little, maybe not. So right out of the jump, I have very little backstory in this human, right? Second up, the person, you know, we have a couple emails that go back and forth. They send me their deck and they present for 30 to 60 minutes. Based on that interaction, which is like barely a first date, I'm now making about 80% of my decision on them. Okay, now the other 20% is going to come through some diligence, et cetera. But I'll be honest, there's not that much time to get that much reps with them as a person. And all you're getting is the business version pitching to me. I still don't know who the person is. I have a minuscule amount of human interaction data to go on to figure out who that person really is. And more importantly, we haven't done anything together. So I haven't been through some shit with them, which is how you actually learn who people are, right? If I were to create a parallel universe to this, it's dating. Imagine this is how it works. I have to get married and I'm going to look at a whole bunch of profiles of people, 12 point PowerPoint slides to determine who my mate is going to be. I'm going to spend 30 to 60 minutes with them in a single presentation, if you will, of who they are. I'm going to spend a little bit of time afterward, but then I'm just going to get married and that's it. That's all I know about this person, right? How well do you think that process is going to hold up? Oh. Very well, right? So I illustrate that to say, if you now have the choice between going through that ridiculous gauntlet and just throwing darts at a board with no idea who you're actually investing in, or taking a second round with somebody that you've lived with now, and even though you had your fights and your troubles, whatever, you actually realize they're a really good person. You know exactly how smart they are. You know exactly what they're able to do. And you get to invest in them again on something totally different. hundred percent. You know, it's funny. I was thinking about my parallel universe example would be the soccer team that I've played on here for five years and I've taken ownership in the last year. And we're going to have a way better season this year, partially because we changed our recruiting. We were using the method you just described for recruiting new players for several years, which was like, yeah, we heard about this guy. He sounds like a good player. Someone else told me that they're pretty good. We should sign them and they should play for our team. Right works out about as well as you'd imagine, right? So this year, what did we do? We heard about all these people and then we did a really surprising thing. We had them come and play with us, right? But apart from that, so to go back to the failure thing, we pulled some people from teams that were failing, two teams were being removed from the league because of performance. And I pulled players from both of those teams, right? They were failures, but I had played against them and I knew the players weren't failures. They had failed with that particular team, uh, but they were good players. And we were able to go and recruit them and that level of experience, right? And I was playing against them, right? So we had this antagonistic relationship, at least during those games. And, but that traveled path together 
tells you so much about an individual, right? How they're going to perform, how they play, you know, how they react to good situations to bad, what it's like to be across, you know, the, the, the line from them. And it's amazing, right? And it's, it's been a lot of fun to go through that process this year and take some of those failures. And I mean, our team was, was a bit of a failure last year as well. And this year we're looking significantly better. More on that uh, in, in upcoming episodes. Yeah. <laughs> if I don't talk about it again, you'll know exactly how it ended. <laughs> I've also watched a handful of founders throughout my career that are particularly good at seeing the long view of working with their investors. And not everybody, by the way, right? But I have seen some founders in this, I think it's a, there's a lesson here, that are like, yeah, the startup didn't work, but my relationship with my investors is paramount. And you know, I'm just honest with them. We're disappointed at the outcome, but I, I saw to it like a gentleman. One of the people that I saw do this extraordinarily well was my old co-founder, Jamie Simonoff at Ring. Jamie did like six businesses, like prior to Ring. The one before that was, was with me. And that did okay, not great, right? Like not, not, not Ring. But lots of investors had put money in Jamie over lots of different deals that didn't really work out, right? But they kept wanting to put money in with them. And again, back in the day, I didn't, I didn't just understand how it works. I hadn't raised a lot of money before. The reason they kept putting money in Jamie, no matter what he was doing, was because he focused on building a relationship with them. Like he focused on saying, hey, VC person, what have you, I want to build a relationship with you so that we understand, hey, sometimes these things don't work out, but our relationship does, which is hard to do. It is. Easy to build relationships in good times, really hard to do in bad times. And he was particularly good at it. And I was always amazed at his ability to basically, you know, build something, have it not work, turn it down, and then go right back to the same investor and say, hey, let's try it again and have them say, yeah, sounds good. Yeah. And for the ones that stuck with him, it uh, worked out fairly well with Ring. Absolutely. And that's that's kind of the thing, like investors understand that startups don't work, right? Like I think you have two classes of investor at a high level. You have one class that are professional investors that do this for a living, have lots and lots and lots of reps with how startups work, and then everybody else, right? The first class that I just described is like 5% of investors, Right. The other 95%, because that pool includes your rich uncle that's just pissed off at you and doesn't want to talk to you at Thanksgiving anymore, right? Like there's just a whole lot more of those people. They don't understand that startups fail at a high level and or don't care, right? But the folks that like, I'll use, go back to Jamie, that Jamie was working with, they were pros. They understood that like, you know, you bet on a player and sometimes that player loses games, but it's still a good player. When you're seeing um, folks, you know, reinvest in people who quote, even failed founders, it's for that reason, because they understand what a good athlete looks like and they know how to invest in them. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, hundred percent. And I, and I think it's, it's important to note there that, that they are truly reinvesting in that founder, not the idea. Also the idea, of course, but I would argue in those cases, the founder was the far more important element that influenced the decision more so than the idea, right? Ideas are everywhere. They're betting on the operator, not on the, uh, the idea itself. Right. And again, they're betting on very few operators. They're looking at the, the pool of investment opportunities and they're like, there are one or two people that are available now, you know, kind of like in the transfer portal, so to speak, that I can pick up. The Adam Newmans of the world would be the top of that list, right? For as much as people don't really understand it, there are so few of those people. And that's why people clamor to give them more money. Be one, because they have the relationships with them, but two, because they're like, man, I want somebody with that level of experience. I want somebody that's been to a Super Bowl before. They're most likely to get back there right? Versus all these other people that I've got 30 minutes with and who knows what they're going to do. Right. They, they showed up with a football. That's not enough. Yeah. <laughs> you know, founders think it's, it's all about, hey, just who has a great idea. 
it's kind of, there's tons of great ideas, right? There are very, very few people that have the wherewithal to be able to operate and make these things work. And yes, they raised maybe a bunch of money and yes, maybe it's all gone. But there are very few people that could even pull that off. You said earlier, when people say, oh, if I had the money, dude, if you had the money, you would have failed just the same. Probably worse. <laughs> exactly. Probably worse. <laughs> yeah. The statistics tell us this, right? Yeah. No, I think that um, at this point, like ideas are the table stakes. They are the entry fee to, to even being somewhere you can have the conversation. They are not what gets you there. I mean, when was the last time you saw an idea? Well, we see lots of ideas, folks. For those of you listening, Will and I see more ideas than we have room in our heads to contain them. And I am so rarely presented, and this isn't this isn't a bad thing, but it's so rarely, it's just like the idea itself is like, oh my God, I just want to go talk about this. It's something I've never seen, never heard. It's, it's so novel, so new, so different, and seems so valuable. It's so rare that those things line up that way, right? It's more like, talk to this really cool founder yesterday, and I really like the way they're thinking about the problem, right? I, I don't even care about the solution yet necessarily. It's just like, it's the, the way this person approaches it. And I'm thinking about them. It's not the idea. It's so rarely the idea. We do talk about ideas, but Will, what would you say the ratio? Like one out of a hundred, it's like one of us, it wouldn't just, I'm sorry, like just our Slack chats. When you and I are back and forth, like, is it, oh, saw something really cool today versus talk to a cool founder. Like I would say 99 out of a hundred, it's founder first, right? So here's what I would say. I'd say that while we're busy trying to like, you know, knock founders down, so to speak, as a community, we should be thinking of this totally differently. We should be thankful. We should be thankful that investors are willing to go back. More importantly, we should be thankful that founders are willing to go back after that apocalyptic hellscape that they just went through, right? And, the, and all the life that gets sucked out of you to make it through that and have to take that through all the mud and everything toward the end. We should be thankful that there are founders that are willing to suit up again. So here's what I would say. If I'm looking at two founders that, that are looking for money and one founder is doing it for the first time, which I applaud, but the second founder has been through hell and back and is willing to suit up again as a founding veteran, that's the person that's getting my money. So in addition to all the stuff related to founder groups, you've also got full access to everything on startups.com. That includes all of our education tracks, which will be funding, customer acquisition, even how to manage your monthly financers. There's so much stuff in there. All of our software, including BizPlan for putting together detailed business plans and financials, LaunchRock for attracting early customers, and of course, Fundable for attracting investment capital. When you log into the startups.com site, you'll find all of these resources available.